Please turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of John, in chapter 1. This morning we will be focusing in on verses 9 through 13. But I want to make sure the stage is properly set, so we're going to read all the way from verse 1 down to verse 13. And uh, that way we're reminded where we've been the last few weeks here in the Gospel of John. So John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to every man, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Let's pray together. Father, would you open our eyes that we would behold wonderful things from your law. We thank you that you sent your own son that whoever would receive him, believing in his name, would become a child of God. And Holy Spirit, would you come and do your life-giving, new-birthing work even right now. And we pray in the name of the true light, Jesus. Amen. It's no secret. I love Christmas. Love Christmas. I have a special sweater that is not for the ugly sweater Christmas party. It's a beautiful sweater that I will wear to church next week where I just become Mr. Christmas when I put this thing on. I love Christmas music. I waited until nearly Halloween to start listening to it this year. I love eggnog. Fridge is stocked constantly. That beautiful stuff. I love the Christmas movies. We had Elf movie night at our house the other night. We had spaghetti. And Elsie even tried it with syrup and M&Ms. And I don't think she recommends it, right? Love the Christmas movies. And I love Christmas lights. We love to hop in the van, cruise around town, and try to find those, those grand displays. You know what I'm talking about. 250 strands of light, 
100 individual bulbs per strand for a grand total of 25,000 Italian and Porto Tuco lights. And after studying this passage, I am here to submit to you that we decorate with light at Christmas so that we will remember and be constantly reminded that the true light has come into the world. Christmas lights are an opportunity for us, for us believers in Jesus Christ, to worship. Every Christmas light display is an opportunity to thank God the Father for sending the true light into the world. It's an opportunity to remember that the true light has come and he shines in the darkness and he illuminates our path and he comforts our fears. And so much of the Christmas of the Christian life comes down to remembering. Remembering what God has done for us. Remembering that Jesus came. That's Advent. That's these candles. Remembering that he came, that he died that he rose, that he ascended into heaven, that he intercedes for us, and that he is coming again. We decorate with light at Christmas so that we can remember that God so loved the world that he gave the true light, his only son, that whoever believes should not perish but have eternal light. Believe that, believer. And if you don't believe that yet, my whole aim this morning is that you would believe. The Apostle John wrote the Gospel of John so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. And little things like letting light remind us of Jesus, those are ways for us to continue to believe. Our belief is not a one-time occurrence, a one-time transaction. We must believe daily. We must abide in Christ. We must remain. We must persevere. So let the lights of Christmas remind you and spur you on to more and more belief. Our passage this morning is about the true light, and here's where we're going in three parts. We'll see the true light revealed in verse 9. We'll see the true light rejected in verses 10 and 11. And praise God, we will see the true light received in verses 12 to 13. Look again with me at verse 9. The true light which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. The Apostle John introduced us to the idea of light back up in verse 4. Remember, the word was the beginning, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. And then last week in verses 6 to 8, the Apostle John introduces us to John the Baptist, JTB. And he came as a witness to the light. And now, in verse 9, the true light is revealed. True. It can mean right or correct, right, as opposed to false. 
or it can mean real and genuine as the opposite of fake. And here, what John is saying, the real and genuine light, the true light, was coming into the world. And I think that John is borrowing this term, true light, from Jesus himself. In John chapter 6, Jesus says that he is the true bread from heaven. God gave the Israelites bread from heaven. He gave them manna while they were in the wilderness. And they all ate it and they all died. Jesus is the true bread, the real and the genuine bread. So you eat of his flesh, that is you receive him, you believe him, you partake of him, and you live forever. Jesus also says that he is the true vine, and that's in John 15. We are the branches. If we abide, if we abide in him, the real and genuine vine, then we will bear much fruit. And third, Jesus just gets right to it in John 14, verse 6, when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. John calling Jesus the true light is backed up by Jesus calling himself the true bread, the true vine, and the truth. So this passage, John 1, 9 to 13, studying it where we are right here, right now, at the end of 22, it's been so good for me, so powerful for me, because many of us, Many of the men and women in our church, we're studying Exodus right now in our Bible studies. And in Exodus, God visits Moses through the light of a burning bush. In Exodus, uh, as the Israelites wander the wilderness, God leads them by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. They were never lost as they wandered those 40 years, because the Lord went before them as a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. And now, in John, the true light is revealed, and he, the true light, is going to say about himself in John chapter 8, I am the light of the world. I am the pillar of fire. Follow me. Walk in me. You will be comforted. You will be delivered. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Israelites had the pillar of fire to show them the way. You and I have Jesus, the true light, the light of the world to guide us through our wilderness wandering. We too are out here in the wilderness heading for the promised land. This world is our wilderness. It is not our home but we have the true light to follow. Verse nine says, Jesus is the true light who gives light to everyone. And last week we met John the witness and he came to bear witness about the light. So we've heard the witness and now it's time for the verdict. We're gonna see in a minute how some reject the true light and some receive the true light. Those are, the, those are the two choices. 
The light illumines, the light enlightens, and the light divides all of humanity into rejectors or receivers. Everyone has been given enough light. He gives light to every man. Paul picks this up in Romans chapter 1 when he says, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Anyone who rejects the light, who rejects the sun, is without excuse. There are, there are no excuses. The light has come and shows us the way to live. J.C. Ryle put it this way. Christ is to the souls of men what the sun is to the world. Christ is to the souls of men what the sun is to the world. He is the center and source of all spiritual light. Like the sun, he shines for the common benefit of all mankind, for high and for low, for rich and for poor, for Jew and for Greek. Like the sun, he is free to all. All may look at him and drink health out of his light. If millions of mankind were mad enough to dwell in caves underground or to bandage their eyes, their darkness would be their own fault and not the fault of the sun. So likewise, if millions of men and women love spiritual darkness rather than light, the blame must be laid on their blind hearts. But whether men will see or not, Christ is the true sun and the light of the world. There is no light for sinners except in the Lord Jesus. There is no light for sinners except in the Lord Jesus. Darkness is achieved in one of two ways. One way is you turn off the lights. The other way to achieve darkness is to close your eyes. And spiritual darkness is the same. The lights have been turned on. The true light has come. The only way to still live in darkness is to live with your eyes closed. It's to stay in the cave and ignore the sun. S-U-N and S-O-N. Ignore the sun. We had a discussion in youth group recently. You know, those, those wily middle schoolers, they're just going to keep going further and further down those what-if trails. One of them asked, what about people who never hear about Jesus? What happens to them when they die? According to John, and according to Romans that we just looked at, they have enough light, and they have no excuse, and they will spend eternity in hell. They are living with their eyes closed. And if that doesn't sit well with you, if it rises up some feelings of unfairness or of sympathy, then I hope that you will rise up and go and tell them, go and tell them that Jesus, the true light, has come and he died for them. You may be 
the very messenger that the sovereign God sends to rescue them. God uses us as his witnesses to the light. And if there's someone in the far corners of the globe trying to open their eyes, God will send someone to them. And I hope it's you. I pray that it's you. If you're living in the dark, if you've never brought your sins to Jesus, then I beg you, open your eyes. The true light has come and he brings hope and peace and joy to the world and you're out of excuses. You can't plead ignorance. Open your eyes to the glorious light. The last part of of verse nine here, the true light was coming into the world. Now this is different than when John the witness came into the world. We read in verse seven that John came that is past tense. And then in verse eight, he came, that is past tense. And now the true light was coming. He's been coming into the world from the very beginning through types and shadows and prophecies. We've already touched on the burning bush and the pillar of fire and the bread from heaven. So let's just stay in Exodus, right? Of course, we're gonna stay in Exodus. He's also, he's the Passover lamb. And he's the living water from the rock. And he's the rock himself. And should we get into the tabernacle or should we leave something for Josh next week? I think, I think we'll leave that for next week. The point is, he's been coming since the beginning. That's why John drew our attention to creation at the beginning of his gospel. In the beginning was the word. And what happened in the beginning? God said, let there be light. And even back then, The true light was coming into the world. God's plan was always Jesus. This is not plan B. Things did not get derailed in the garden. Jesus is plan A. And the true light was coming from the very beginning. The cry of the Old Testament prophet was, he's coming. The cry of the New Testament is, He has come. Emmanuel, God is with us. The cry of the church is, he's coming again. Jesus is coming again. The wrong shall fail. The right prevail. The light will banish all of the darkness. All shadows of doubt will be gone. All shadows of despair will be gone. The darkness of death will be no more. He is coming again. Encourage each other with that. May it grant you the hope that it's intended to. Jesus is coming back to make all things right and establish his kingdom forever. And Jesus, come quickly. Let's look at verses 10 and 11. Let's see the true light rejected. Verse 10 gives it to us in general, and then verse 7 is gonna drill down and get specific. Verse 10, he was in the world, And the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. Here we have a lot of theology packed in one verse. We have the incarnation. We have God made flesh. We have God with us. He was in the world. We have the doctrine of creation. The world was made through him, and we have rejection. Yet the world did not know him. The very creator of the universe came near, 
He visited us. We are a visited people, and the world did not know him. And now the specifics in verse 11. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. He came to his own. He isn't a a far-off, set-it-and-forget-it creator. He is intimately involved. He was in the world, like verse 10 said, yes, he was in the world. Verse 11, he was in a specific place in the world. He came to his own people, to the people of Israel, his chosen nation. In Exodus, God calls Israel his firstborn son, and now his true firstborn son comes, and he comes to his own. And verse 11 is in the running for the saddest verse in the Bible. His own people did not receive him. The promised Messiah rejected. The true light coming into the world rejected. The bread, the lamb, the water, the rock rejected. The people who had Abraham and Moses and the prophets and the scriptures did not receive him. In verse 10, it says the world did not know him. That's ignorance. In verse 11, his own did not receive him, and that's unbelief. You can say that this is the greatest example of human depravity in history. God came home, and they and we wouldn't let him in. You know, it was just, nah, we're good. We love our darkness. Later on in John, Jesus meets with Nicodemus in John chapter 3. And Jesus explains exactly what is happening here in verse 11 as the true light is rejected. He says in John 3, 19, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and the people loved darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. His own people did not receive him because they loved darkness. They love the darkness because they think it hides their evil and they know that the light will reveal, will expose their evil. That's what light does. It exposes. And the only way to continue loving the darkness is to live with your eyes closed. Today is December 11th. Does anyone know what happens two weeks from today? Anybody? Oh, yes, good. But what day is it? What day is it two weeks from today? It's Christmas. Christmas Day. Boy, you guys got to get on it. Has anyone made a Christmas list, a wish list? Okay, a few out there. Now, I want you to imagine that your number one item on that list your new set of drums. Imagine that it's Christmas morning and you are fired up. You get out of bed before the sun's even up because the sun doesn't rise until what, 9.15 up here in the crazy Northwest. You run out to the tree and there beneath the tree is your new set of drums. What would you do? You would jump up and down You would grab it and hug it and hold it and you'd thank your parents and some of you would cry out of pure joy. I just know it. 
You know what you would never do? You would never reject that gift. You wouldn't ever see it there and then close your eyes and pretend that it's not there. You know, what gift? I don't, I don't see any gift. No, that's madness. To reject what you've been longing and waiting for, well, that, that's dark. These people have waited for the Messiah, for the light to come into the world, and he's here, and they reject him. They do not receive him. The greatest gift that could ever be given, the true light, he came, and he comes to you too. This is movement toward you. He comes. Receive him. That's what you do with gifts. You receive them. Open your eyes to the light. And speaking of receiving him, let's look at the true light received. So the true light was revealed. The true light was rejected. But not by all. Some received the true light. Verse 12. But... To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. But, I'm going to say it, I love buts. I love them. They are the great hinges of the Bible. You were dead, but God made you alive. There's no greater news in the world, and it hinges on a but. They're the great fulcrums of the Bible. This one here, his own have rejected him. His own didn't even receive him. But to all who did receive him, he wasn't rejected by everyone. Verse 11 is not the end of the story. Verse 12, we, we hinge and we swing upward from death to life. But as many as received him, as believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. But God, I'm confident talking this way, it was a risk, because of Charles Spurgeon, the prince of preachers. He was commenting on this verse, and he says, do we know what Spurgeon sounded like? Is it anything like Martin Lloyd-Jones? This is a blessed but. No. This is a blessed but. Though Christ's own nation, the Jews as a whole, received him not, there was a remnant according to the election of grace. There were some who received him. But, praise God, what does it mean to receive him? It means believe in his name. This isn't two steps that John is describing. He's reiterating they received him, that is, they believed in his name. To receive him is to believe in his name. And that means believing everything about him, that he's the son of God, that he's the way, the truth, and the life. So let's go back to our Christmas morning scenario. You found your gift beneath the tree. You received it. And then what'd you do? You put it back and you just leave it there and go on with your day and go eat your cinnamon rolls? No, you open it, you play with it, you enjoy it. You know, whatever verb goes with whatever your number one item was, you, you enjoy it, that's the believing part. You receive it, you enjoy it, you believe it. 
you haven't really received it until you've enjoyed it. Let me take you back to 1833. There was a man named George Wilson, and he had been sentenced to death by hanging for robbing a mail cart and threatening the life of the mailman. George had some powerful friends, and they went and they lobbied President Andrew Jackson for George's life. And President Jackson issued a full pardon of George Wilson. Wilson refused it. The courts in the White House were at a loss. Can, can George Wilson legally refuse the president's pardon? The case went all the way to the Supreme Court, and here's the Supreme Court's ruling on that case. A pardon is a deed to the validity of which delivery is essential, and delivery is not complete without acceptance. It may then be rejected by the person to whom it is tendered, and if it is rejected, we have discovered no power in this court to force it upon him. You, my friend, have been offered a full pardon. Receive it by believing in Jesus. These folks in verse 12, they receive him, they believe him, and he gives them the right to become children of God. Not everyone is a child of God. Not everyone can call God Father. Only those who receive Jesus believe in Jesus, are given the right to become children of God. I want to try to tell you about my Poppy Sam. Poppy Sam is uh, my dad's uncle, so that makes him my great uncle. Uh, My dad's dad, my grandpa Weldon, Passed away in 1967 when my dad was 13 years old. Grandpa Weldon was a faithful Baptist pastor, and I look forward to meeting him one day. Grandpa Weldon, he died leaving my Granny Alice alone to raise her three kids, but she wasn't alone. Poppy Sam took it upon himself to move from Oklahoma to California to help my granny raise my dad and his siblings. And so, by the time I came along, Poppy Sam was filling the role of father figure for my dad. And therefore, he was grandpa for me. And that's why I call him Poppy. That's that's my term of endearment for my grandpa. Poppy Sam and I have never talked about our relationship. He just always loved me like his own. And I treasure him like I do few others here on earth. A couple years ago, he took me golfing at the course where he volunteers as a marshal. And we ran into one of his buddies, and and he introduced me. This is my grandson, Eric. Man, I swelled with pride, and I'm sure I had the goofiest smile on my face because my poppy had given me the right to be his grandson. Jesus gives you the right to become a a child of God. 
Jesus welcomes you and adopts you into God's family. And this is a big deal. Because before we receive him, before we believe him, we were sons of disobedience, Ephesians 2.2. We were children of wrath, Ephesians 2.3. We were of our father, the devil, John 8. And now, because of Jesus, through Jesus, we get to be children of God. God is our father. God is not everyone's father. We are not all God's children. It was costly to bring you into God's family. It cost God his son to make you his child. And that's why John says in 1 John 3, See, behold, what kind of love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God. Receive Jesus. Believe in his name. Become a child of God. How, how do we receive him? How do we believe him? Something has to happen first. Something has to overcome our blindness, our deadness, our love of the darkness. I'll read verse 12 again, and then we're going to see verse 13. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Those who receive and believe are those who are born of God. You're born of God, you believe. You're born of God, you're a child of God. John spells it out even clearer over in 1 John 5. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. You must be born of God to believe. Believe that salvation comes only through him and prove you're born of God. Believe Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead and prove you're born of God. Believe you're a sinner in need of a savior and prove you're born of God. And then here in verse 13, we get three ways that this does not happen. Here are three ways to not be born of God. Not of blood. So membership in God's family does not depend on who gave birth to you the first time. Your earthly family does not determine your heavenly family. I loved Jordan's sermon last week, particularly the part where he encouraged us to think about the long line of witnesses that God has used to bring us into his family. And I'm eternally grateful that my parents love Jesus, that they brought me to church, that they taught me the gospel. I had every advantage spiritually, and I was dead in my sins. I still needed to be born of God. Their faith had to, at some point, become my faith. I can't get in on their coattails, right? It's been said that God has no spiritual grandchildren. Their faith had to become my own faith, and praise God it did. Number two, you're not born of God of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of the flesh. You can't will yourself into God's family. You can't effort into it. You can't do enough good. 
You can't keep the law or perform well enough to earn your way into God's family. Your flesh can't get you there. And third, it's nor of the will of man. So someone else can't get you into God's family. A parent or a pastor or a friend can't will you into God's family. A priest can't bless you in or pray you in. You must be born of God. God must do his miraculous, dead-raising, life-giving, new-birthing work. We have a twofold problem. We are spiritually dead, so we must be born of God, and we are sinfully corrupt, so we must receive Jesus by believing in his name to be given the right to become children of God. And Jesus is the solution to our twofold problem. He will do the work to all who receive him. This has the ring of Revelation twenty two seventeen at the end of the story. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. If you haven't received Jesus, if you don't believe in his name, if you're tired of the darkness and living without hope, if your sins haven't been dealt with, if you're thirsty, come. Come to Jesus. Receive him. Accept his free gift of salvation and eternal life. Believe in him and he will give you the right to become a child of God. Church, the true light has come. Joy to the world, the light has come. Continue to believe him. Trust his promises and keep his word. Let your life be a reflection of the true light. We're like the moon, We are big, dumb, dull rocks until we place ourselves in the rays of the sun and then we shine. Walk in the light and shine. And believer, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Walk in the light. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your life-giving a living and active word. I pray that you use it to cut us and to heal us. And Father, would you, would you open eyes even now? We thank you for Jesus. Help us to think of him often, abide in him, stay close to him. Thank you that you are the one to keep us close. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.